0: everyone and welcome back to another Voices of Chandler the podcast episode. I'm your host Melina Suniga, y estoy muy emocionada para presentarles el episodio de hoy. It's Cesar Chavez Day and it's only right I speak some Spanglish for you all. For those of you that know who Cesar Chavez is and even for those of you who don't, he was a mexican american labor leader and civil rights activist who dedicated his life's work to what he called la causa or the cause which is the struggle of farm workers in the united states typically immigrants and people of color to improve their working and living conditions through organizing and negotiating contracts with their employers rory minor from our diversity equity and inclusion division sat down and had a very interesting conversation with Alberto Esparza, former president and CEO of Si Se Puede Foundation for 34 years, and currently the president and CEO of what he calls his most recent endeavor, iRise Foundation.
1: Thank you, Alberto, for being here. Um, I wanted to kind of start off with getting a little bit of background and understanding how you first met or got involved with Senor Chavez
2: well, um in nineteen ninety four I was a student at Arizona State University, and I came across Ben Miranda. He was a law student, and eventually Ben Miranda went on to practice law and in so doing so, he was the attorney for the United Farm Workers Union and the Cesar Chavez. so we knew each other, and uh, we had seen each other at a mixer, and he asked me what I was doing, and I told him I was volunteering on behalf of Chicanos por la causa, and that sort of thing, and then he asked me if I wanted to be a bodyguard to Cesar Chavez. I didn't realize that he knew Cesar Chavez. I didn't realize that he was the attorney for the United Farm Workers Union. I was very impressed with what he was doing at that time, and I jumped at the opportunity, and I said, yes, this is what I want to do. And uh, it was the impetus that basically drew me into activism and social services. And I had the pleasure of being a bodyguard to Cesar Chavez. Oh my God, it was just very exciting. I was an, I was truly in awe of him and inspired by him. And um, he was just an icon. So the more I volunteered for the United Farm Workers Union, the more I learned more about him. Very, um, very honest, genuine, he wore his heart on the sleeve. He spoke for those who couldn't speak for themselves. And um, his whole work was um, was to port the farmworker workers and to make sure that they had better working the conditions and better pay and that sort of thing. So that's how his movement evolved. And uh, he was very inspirational. So Ben Miranda was the person that actually introduced me to the United Farm Workers Union. He's the one that introduced me to become a bodyguard of Cesar Chavez, and. Uh, I just got involved in the movement, and I became an organizer, and I actually um, was responsible for bringing a lot of people to these marches. One of the unique things about these marches um, is that they were a nonviolent movement, very respectful, very religious. Uh, we also had the the Virgin Mary in the front, so it's not like what you see today where it could be very destructive. And um, back then, Cesar Chavez um, followed, Martin Luther King Juniors movement and Gandhi's movement. So, um, it was a nonviolent nonviolent effort on his part. So we were all trained in um being nonviolent and what that meant and making sure that those who participated in the marches were nonviolent. That continued to draw me into the social activism and um to give back to the community and um, that's where everything has started. Um, during my time as a bodyguard, I would always reflect on what I wanted to do, and um, so I wanted to be like Cesar Chavez. I couldn't be the icon like him, but I wanted to do what he did, and I wanted to serve the community, and that is my passion, and um, that's where everything evolved.
1: I feel like that work you know, reflects in Um, the progress of Mexican-Americans and them feeling like they had a voice in their community to make a change and protect themselves and the workers that were out there experiencing these harsh conditions.
2: And it was the first time that we had a leader unlike any other leader with um, the Cesar Chavez. I remind you, he had an eighth grade education, but uh, he he just had this leadership qualities that people drew to him, and he was the first one to step up and say, yeah, basta, which this ain't gonna happen anymore. And so he started his movement and uh, his passing was very difficult for the entire community because we lost a great leader, a man who wore his heart on his sleeves, a man who spoke for the people that couldn't speak. The families were who were really the getting abused by the um, by the owners of the farms, whether it be physically, mentally, sexually, All these things were occurring and nobody cared. Nobody cared because the majority of those folks were immigrants who the farm workers were bringing in just to um, work in the fields. And um, there was times that um, these people didn't get paid. Uh, But who could these people go to? They couldn't go to anyone.
0: Like Alberto mentioned, Chavez had an eighth grade education and began working in the fields full time after he stopped going to school. He joined the U.S. Navy, serving for two years in a segregated unit, and after his service was over, he returned to farm work, got married, and had children. Farm workers at that time were not covered by minimum wage laws and made as little as 40 cents an hour and did not qualify for unemployment, insurance, or assistance. Sometimes they had no electricity, running water, or bathrooms, much less bathroom breaks, while they worked the fields. Chavez, along with Dolores Huerta, founded the National Farm Workers Association, later the United Farm Workers of America, and won important victories to raise, pay, and improve working conditions for farm workers in the late 1960s and 70s. Before that, he was a grassroots organizer for the Community Service Organization, also known as CSO, a Latino civil rights group, where he worked to register new voters and fight racial and economic discrimination. This is also where he met Huerta and found a shared interest in organizing farm workers. In this conversation with Rory, Alberto mentions how influential Chavez's leadership was among the farm working community, an impact that led to a five thousand farm workers strike, a nationwide boycott of California grapes, negotiated contracts, safer working conditions, including the elimination of harmful pesticides, and unemployment and health care benefits for agricultural workers. Cesar Chavez once said, and I quote, we cannot seek achievement for ourselves and forget about the progress and prosperity for our community. Back to Rory and Alberto.
2: When I started the organization back in 1993, I'm talking about the Cice Puede Foundation, it was all community. It was all community. It was all giving, providing resources and advocacy to the community, and just little by little start growing. When I started the organization, I had no money. I had zero money. I didn't even have a place to stay. I was sleeping in the vacant offices. I was walking from school district to school district, trying to implement the Cesar sip Foundation. And one of my strengths is the ability to motivate students, and I felt so empowered by that. And it is a gift, and I think the gift was a direct result of my involvement with the Cesar Chavez and the United Farmers Movement and my role model, Ben Miranda, because I think that if there ever was a person to replace the Cesar Chavez, it was Ben Miranda. He was just... uh, a beautiful person, a giving person. He was an attorney that really didn't charge folks when, the, when they didn't have money. Very instrumental, not only in my life, but others. And uh, his passing really hurt, even today. When I started um, the IRISE project, same philosophy as the Cesar Weather Foundation, same philosophy as the United Farm Workers Union and the Cesar Chavez. So um, I wanted to come back um, and continue my work. My life's work is in the community because I'm truly nothing without the community, Um, you know, and I'm blessed to be here because a couple years ago I was very ill with prostate cancer, and um, um, I got better this past year, and uh, not being in the community was difficult at best, and um, I had to get back, so I started the IRISE Foundation because I needed the community more than the community needed me.
1: Tell us a little bit about your background as far as um, did you grow up in Arizona? How did you first get involved in um, the the local community here and kind of building things from the ground up?
2: Well, I was born and raised in Phoenix, loving parents, three siblings, um, and the Latino community that's relatively small. (laughs) And um, I went to Dunbar Elementary School at that time, which was an African-American school. I was the only Latino there and um, went to Grant School was, now was a big difference, it was more Latino than anything else, and uh, it was there that they talked about the United Farm Workers Union and Cesar Chavez. I always liked to read books, and I read books from Martin Luther King Jr. to the Cesar Chavez, and then I went to uh, the Phoenix Union, and high school, it closed down, I believe, in late 1990s. But it was a phenomenal school, and I got involved in some of the school clubs out there. And then I went to the Phoenix College. That's really where it started. They had an organization called Mecha, which is historically an Hispanic club, but it was socially conscious. It was very activism. And I recall walking in the halls of the library, and I came across two gentlemen who just got back from Vietnam, and um, they were like brown berets. I didn't know what that meant. And um, they asked me if I was involved in community issues and that sort of thing. And I said I wasn't. And so they invited me to a meeting. And at that meeting, I saw this Latina woman speak so eloquently and basically hold us, held us socially responsible because we were not involved. But I loved it. And that's how I got involved with the United Farm Workers Union. And and one thing led to another. One of the things that this group did was they did boycotts and, and um, the marches. And then I know at the Phoenix College there wasn't many Latino educators or professors there. So this was my first time doing a sit-in, and I didn't know what that meant. But we were doing a sit-in. It was a very difficult time, you know, but it was nonviolent. We just. Basically, sat in the dean's office or maybe the provost office—I can't recall that—but security came and threw us out, and that was my initiation into mm-hmm. the United Farm Workers Union and what that meant. And then, but I loved everything about it, and uh, that's really where it started. I got a—I um, went to Arizona State University, got a degree in the criminal justice. Then I went to Northern Arizona University, got a master's degree in education. And then I got involved with Chicanos por la Casa, which is the leading Latino nonprofit uh, in not only in the state of Arizona, but throughout the country. And it was there that the former CEO, who's no longer there anymore, he passed away. And he was the one that sent me to the city of Scottsdale when the city of Scottsdale was having problems with the Latino community and the non-Latino community. And that's where I really learned about trying to build bridges breaking those walls of divided communities, because I really believe that people don't get along because they never sit down and talk. And once we sit down, we're gonna find that we really are the same. And that's the philosophy that I brought to the Weather Foundation. That's the philosophy that I bring to the IRI's Foundation. But that's where I really got involved in the social services. I tried to meet the demands that were placed. There was a lot of demands placed on me uh, because I was working with the Latino community in Scottsdale. There wasn't, I don't think there was a Latino organization working with the Latino community, and so I was the first. And how Si Se Puede got coined was the community would often say, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't learn English, and I would say, Si Se Puede. And then that was before my time with United Farm Workers and Cesar Chavez, so I called the organization Si Se Puede. And, um, you know, because I heard that that was a rallying cry to the movement. And so that's really where it actually started. And then one thing led to another. It just kept growing. It kept growing, Rory. I was in Mesa Public Schools, working with kids who were heavily at risk. That's what they called them at that time. And kept growing. I brought in soccer. I brought in ESL for the parents. I brought in dance, mariachis, ballet flacorico. I was in the schools working with kids that were, again, deemed at risk, and I was providing educational programs, goal setting, the conflict resolution, and I loved it. I loved it to death, and I kept expanding and expanding. And how I got to Chandler was simply by accident, is that I contacted uh, the principal from Anderson Junior High, and I asked her if I could come down and guest speak to some of the students, and she welcomed me there. And I love the city of Chandler and the Chandler Unified School District, You know, I've been in a lot of districts throughout my career, but there's no other district that I would rather be than the Channel Unified School District. Without them, I was a non-profit in search of a Channel Unified School District. I mean, I love them to death. I mean, I am grateful for them giving me the opportunity. So I just kept growing. So I started another foundation called the Rise Foundation, which I really want to make that a national movement. Um, My next stop is to go to Oxnard, California, to Colorado and create programs out there for the migrant community.
1: And I, I feel like the fact that this organization that you helped build from the ground up that continues even without you specifically being there just shows the resiliency of something that you've built and the success that it will continue to have and impact communities beyond your lifespan and, and the work that you're doing specifically.
2: No doubt. No doubt. I mean, uh, the Seeds of Weather Foundation, the IRIS uh foundation are going to be here forever. I think about when I'm no longer here on earth. You know, what is my legacy? That 100 years from now, it won't matter how much money I had in the bank. It won't matter what type of house I lived in. And most It won't matter where I'm wearing Gucci or Nike or Adidas. But what will matter is that I was important in the life of a child. And to me, that is the greatest feeling on earth, and that's the legacy that I live behind. It was about what I've learned through the Cesar Chavez, being around him with the C.C. Foundation. I built an organization without money, sponsorships in the beginning, without me having a salary or 401k. It was just my life.
1: And then one last question uh, just about the perseverance it took to start something like the Cisapueta Foundation and continue to um, now be building a new foundation is, were there those days where you wanted to give up and, and how did you overcome that feeling and what like inspiration did you draw in to remind yourself that it was worth it in the long run?
2: I truly believe that I don't have many gifts, but one of the gifts that I do have is social service, you know, giving back to the community. I think the resiliency comes because of my passion and the heart I have for children, families, and that's where everything evolves around, it's just my passion. You know, I didn't tell you when I was in elementary uh, school I was a special needs student. It was was there that a teacher, Miss Wilson, passed away a long time ago, but she taught me how to goal set. And I think that she took me under her wing, she pulled me aside, and um, she taught me how to goal set, and she reminded me that I was never going to accomplish all the goals that I sat. That was impossible. And she says, you know, Berto, what's important is your journey. That will define you as a person, as a professional, and a better human being. I'll never forget that. So when I do speak to the schools, I talk about overcoming obstacles, and I tell people people to find something that you have a passion for. I'm lucky because I awake every morning and I'm doing what I wanted to do. I'm doing what God said that I needed to do. But I will say this, I mean, throughout my career, I had a lot of people point fingers at me and said that I couldn't do this. And what I tell young people is that the difference between me and other people who have failed is that I use that as motivation. I thank God for all the naysayers and all the finger-pointing people who said that I was not going to do this, that I couldn't, because they have motivated me to be very successful. So I believe that I've been successful. I've always believed that there's no one else that can do it better than me with no money. Martin Luther King Jr. is very inspirational to me, so I'm going to quote one of the things. And I think that Mike's success is my ability to bring in stakeholders. He basically said that it was important to bring in stakeholders that those who feel that they're not involved in what you're doing will unconsciously destroy everything that you do. It's been a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to reflect on my time. It gives me an opportunity to really know what's important. And again, without the community, I'm basically nothing. I'm just happy that God gave me another chance to come back and do what I do best.
0: I want to thank you so much for tuning in and a huge thank you to our DEI office and of course Rory and Alberto for this conversation. This podcast is brought to you by the city of Chandler. Tap in with us on social, show us some love, let us know what you want to listen to and make sure you check back soon for a new episode of Voices of Chandler, the podcast.